Well, good morning, Life Church. How are you? Good? All right, man. Well, God's good. Welcome to uh, Life Church Noblesville. We're, uh, if you're new here, my name is Pastor Micah. We are one church, but we've got five campuses, including an online campus. So, uh, and I want to want to let you know we we started our second Samuel series last week and we are in the end of first chapter the first chapter of second Samuel and what we do at Life Church we are expository in our preaching so that means we just go verse by verse through scripture we tell you what God says about things it doesn't really matter what I think or say it's what what matters is what God says and so uh, it also is great because if you don't like it I didn't write the book take it up with the guy who did you know what I mean that's what I'm like I'm not the one who wrote it so uh, but the, uh, but when you find out what God says about things, it, it allows you to live life the way that life was intended to live. And, it, and you'll see blessings, you'll see triumphs, you'll see uh, just, uh, o- you'll overcome the, the tough issues of life because God knows what you're going through. He's done it himself. He understands how to be a victor. He is the victor. And, and so he wants you to have that same victory. Also, something else that we do at Life Church is our children are going through the same thing as well. So in Sunday school, in the kids' church, we're actually teaching them verse by verse, going along the same passage that we're going along when it comes to the what we're learning here in adult church. So, so when you go home, parents, when you say, hey, what did you learn today in kids' church? They're gonna be going through the same things that you're going through. Now, 2 Samuel's a pretty violent book, so we're gonna like tone it down a little bit, you know, like, you know, so, so but that's all right. Like, they'll, they'll get the concepts, the general concepts uh, that you got. And, and that's important because really, parents, it is your job to raise your kids. It's not the job of the church and it's not the job of the government, right? God gave, it to, gave them to you. And so we can help you with that. We can give you the resources and the tools, but ultimately you're gonna stand before the Lord and, and, and he's gonna ask you, hey, how did you steward these beautiful children that I've given you, right? So that's, that's one way you do it. You take them through God's word verse by verse explain to them who God is and what God teaches us about life. So, so that's, that's, just so you know, that's, that's how we'll be uh, rolling over these next few months. Um, today, we're gonna be in a passage of scripture, and this is, this is called David's dirge, okay? I don't know if you know what a dirge is. We'll get into that in a second. But this passage of scripture is a song that David writes dealing with what Israel is going through right now as a nation. We just saw at the end of 1 Samuel Saul, King Saul, and the Prince Jonathan were killed on Mount Gilboa by the enemies of Israel because of their sin, well, because of Saul's sin and his, his unrighteousness, and he walked away from the Lord, and the Lord basically turned him and Israel over to the enemies of Israel. Now we're seeing David's heart in this moment. Now remember, I said that David, <clears throat> this book of Samuel is broken up into three life stages in the life of David. You have David's triumphs in verse or chapters one through 10. You have David's transgressions in chapters 11 and 12. And then the rest of the book, chapters 13 and on, is David's, uh, it's David's troubles because of his transgressions. So that's what 2 Samuel is. We're gonna dive into it. We're gonna see the the examples of how we're to live, the things that, you, you can find yourself in all three of those stages, I promise you. You can find yourself in the triumphs, in the transgressions, and in the troubles. We're all human, David was human. And we're gonna see that in 2 Samuel. So let me pray for us and then we're just gonna dive into God's word and pray that he opens our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you're doing. Lord, we just praise you right now for being an amazing God. We praise you for being a God of, of our healing, a God of truth, a God that, that knows what we're going through. And Lord, we ask that you just 
open our ears and hearts to receive what you have for us today, specifically for each person in this room. I know you're speaking to all of us directly and individually, God. So whatever this word, whatever you wanna do with this word today, just do it. And uh, Lord, thank you again for bringing us together here at Life Church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. All right, cool. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter one, starting in verse 17. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. Okay, so the dirge essentially is this funeral song that David wrote. And it's and in, verse, in the end of this verse, it says, it is known as the song of the bow and it is recorded in the book of Jasher. So it's a lament. David's going into, into this time and he's saying, Israel, it's important that all of you know this song. We're gonna teach it to you. He commands that everybody learns this song. And it's the song of mourning because their leader had fallen and their prince had fallen. Now the song of the bow is uh, probably most likely a tribute to Jonathan. Okay, remember the bow, Jonathan was very skilled archer. He was, his arrows were accurate. He knew how to use that thing. His bow struck fear in the hearts of the enemy. And it also saved David's life multiple times. Remember one of those times early on in 1 Samuel, we see that David was telling his best friend, Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, he says, Jonathan, your dad is cray cray, okay? Like your dad's crazy. All right, he's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, dad wouldn't do that. He just, he's had a bad week. You know, he's not, he's just, you know, he's off his meds, whatever it might be. Like just, you know, listen, he's, he's not, he's just not himself. Let me go talk to him. Let me make sure that he's really not trying to kill you. I think you're not, I think you're misreading him. And he says, go hide in the field. And if I take my bow and I shoot it past you and I tell my servant to go get the arrow, that is a sign that yes, dad's trying to kill you and you need to get out of town. But if I shoot it in front of you, that means dad's not trying to kill you, okay? So then you can come back to the palace. So the story went on and David goes, hides in the, in, hides in the field. And sure enough, Jonathan goes to his dad and he's like, oh, dad be crazy, okay? Uh, he's trying to kill David. So he goes back, he shoots the bow or the arrow over David's head. It lands, he yells, commands his uh, servant to go get the bow. That was the sign for David to go and run. And that started the exile of David and it saved his life. So this bow has multiple times been a, a powerful weapon in the safety of David. So, so David, this dirge is called the song of the bow, a tribute most likely to his best friend, Jonathan. Now it's written down in the book of Jasher. Now this book, the book of Jasher would be equivalent to the United States National Archives. It's really a book that just recorded all of the events of the nation of Israel. Now, we don't know where this book is to this day. It, 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 it got destroyed, and it'd be amazing if we ever found the book. But we do know about it because it's, it's mentioned one other time in Scripture, and I'm gonna take you to that in just a second. But before we do, just so you guys know, if you're new, whenever I preach, I give you these fill-in-the-blanks notes. Do you guys all have those? You know, have those? Okay. It's, it's for me, if you're like me, like I fall asleep when people, when people are talking, okay? So like I need something to do like to keep my attention. So that's a I'm like, well, you guys, I don't want you falling asleep when I'm talking. So uh, I can keep you, or give you something to draw pictures on or something too, you know, like mountains and seagulls and, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyone? No one? Okay. Well, that's what I do. But you can fill in the blank and these are the highlighted, the highlighted words are the answers, just FYI. So let me take you to the other time in scripture where the book of Jasher is mentioned. It's mentioned in Joshua chapter 10, 
says this, on that day, the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites. Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. Now, Joshua was a really awesome leader. Joshua was like, he was bold. He knew God. He knew God's righteousness. He was not backing down. I mean, he had that famous like, you know, stand where he told all of Israel, he says, you guys choose whoever you want to serve. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord, right? It was just like, go pound sand if you don't want to serve the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. I don't really care what you say. And he, and he knew God and he was a righteous leader. And so he gets in front of all the people and he prays in front of all the people. And he prays a really audacious, like big time prayer. Like this is like, listen to the prayer that he prays. Imagine if you would have the guts to stand up in front of all of the people of Israel and pray this prayer. He says this, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Agilon. Okay? He's, re- he's commanding the universe to stop is what he's doing. All right? This is a man like you, like me. This is one man. And he says, he says, in the name of Jesus, well, Jesus, but he says, the name of the, he, Jesus hadn't come yet, so that name, but the same God was Jesus. He was the word always. But he says, in the name of the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Why is he saying this? Because they had a battle and they were winning the battle, but they knew if the sun were to set, the enemy would be able to re- regroup at night and they'd come back the next day. They'd, they'd be stronger. And he said, if we can just have a longer day, we would win this battle. Verse 13, so the sun stood still. Okay, I, I don't know how this works in the, con- like, listen, in the, in, like, I think gravity would have stopped. I don't know. Like, you know, like I don't win the rotation of the earth. I don't know how it happened. I'm not the creator of the universe. Ask him someday. Ask, you know, how did you do that thing? But this is true. Take it to the bank. The sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. I mean, whoa, okay? Okay, remember, like, this was not a little private prayer where he's like, okay, Lord, uh, just in the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, uh, could you make the sun stand still and the moon not to set? You know, can you just just hold up, hold on? And then if it didn't happen, no one knew he prayed the prayer right? It's like, well, okay, it didn't happen. No, he got up in front of the entire nation. He said, hey, our God is the most powerful God to ever exist. He's the creator of the universe, and we are going to call on him to make the sun stand still right now. And he does it. That's amazing. This has nothing to do with 2 Samuel, by the way. I just thought this was amazing, right? Like, this is... (laughs) The book of Jasher recorded it, all right? That's the only, that's how we got here, okay? I was like, where, where else is the book of Jasher mentioned, right? But this is a cool story. So take that, you know, just a little tangent, a little squirrel right there, okay? Right, okay. All right, back to 2 Samuel. By mourning the loss of Saul and Jonathan, David is expressing honor to the past leader. So we go back to this, this lament, okay? He's, he's expressing honor. Now remember, Saul is David's enemy. Saul's trying to kill David. He's been on this witch hunt trying to get David time and time again. David has every right from humanity standpoint to be not happy with Saul and to, and to treat him like an actual enemy. But he, he honors Saul in this moment. Verse 19, your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? 
oh man, how have the mighty fallen? Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. You know what David recognizes in this moment? He understands that worthy leadership is the beauty of a nation. Proverbs 29 says this. It says, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, they groan. David, David is recognizing something. He's recognizing the power of leadership, both good and bad. Good leadership brings prosperity to the people. Godly leadership brings blessings on the nation. Ungodly and wicked leadership brings pain and torment and, and groaning. When the godly are in authority, people rejoice. But when the wicked are in authority, they groan. And David is recognizing this. And he knows that Saul has become wicked. And he understands that this is leading Israel into a place of groaning and mourning. The Philistines just beat them back. The Philistines, that means they have the, splendors, the, 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 the plunder of victory and, and, and of war. They got more land now. Israel had been the mighty nation in the, in the region. And now they were reduced to this being, being made, they, they, they were made to look the fool from their ultimate enemies, the Philistines. It's, it's humiliating. Verse 19, also probably if you go back to verse 19 real quick. Oh, your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. So the beauty is dying on the high places. So this is a reference probably to Saul and Jonathan being killed on Mount Gilboa, but it's also probably a reference to the high places of worship where there, where there should have been no worship. Remember, God said first and foremost, you shall have no other gods before me. If you were the devil and you were part of his army and his minions, one of the strategies that I would assume that you would probably start doing is the very most important thing of your enemy, you wanna to try to undermine that important thing. The number one important thing and to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to our God, to Yahweh, to Jesus, the word made flesh, is that we are to put no other God before him. So throughout all of history, especially Israel, and this is true for the United States, nations that were birthed and the principles of God's word the devil will try to move in idols that are not of God and get the people to worship those idols. And in Israel, this would happen in the high places, on the mountains. So your beauty is slain on the high places. He's saying, you have lost your beauty because you've given yourself over to a bunch of idols, Israel. What are you doing? And now your leaders have also been killed on those same high places. He goes on, he says this, he says, don't announce the news in Gath. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Escalon. Remember, these are two cities, the Philistine cities. We've talked about that in 1 Samuel. There are about five Philistine cities, but Gath was the capital of, of, of Philistia, Philistia. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice and the pagans will laugh in triumph. And rejoicing, what David is saying, he's the, the, the enemy rejoicing brings national humiliation. This is true throughout the generations of nations. You think America is immune to facing humiliation like this? We're not. You turn from God, you turn from his right ways, his ordained ways, you too will experience the same national humiliation that David is experiencing right now. And I, I would, I'm concerned that we're going down that, that path. But it's not the first time that that's happened in America. There's an amazing, amazing, I mean, I'm just telling you, I, I read this the other day, this proclamation by one of our greatest presidents in 1863, a man named Abraham Lincoln, 
And it's, and it's a proclamation for a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I wanna read this to you because this sounds like it goes right along with 2 Samuel. Here's a nation that has turned from God, that has given themselves over to sins, and this particular sin that Abraham Lincoln is, is referring to would be slavery. We've abused the ways of God. We've thought we are, we've done all of this beautiful growth ourselves. Our virtue comes from just no one but ourselves. We've turned from God and now we are in national calamity. We are being humiliated. The world is looking at us and laughing at us because of what is happening in our nation. In 1863, we were in the middle of the Civil War, the most deadly conflict the United States has ever had in her history. Over 700,000 people died in the Civil War. We've, Americans, we've never, we've never seen that, that amount of death. And this is what Abraham Lincoln calls for, a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I'm gonna read it to you. I'm gonna invite the ushers down right now. They're going to pass out, as I'm reading this, they're gonna pass out these, these scrolls. I, I got these, uh, I made these up. I, I think it's just, it's something that if you pull it out, you know, every, every few weeks, every few months, maybe put it on your desk, whatever it might be, remember to pray that our nation would humble itself and turn back to the ways of God, all right? And it's a beautiful proclamation. We, we only have, I don't know how many we have. Okay, but one, one per family. I said this to the first service. I said, you guys are the first service. You can take as many as you want. And that's the, that's the bounty of coming to the first service, okay? So if, if you don't have enough, well, you probably should start coming to the first service, okay? All right? So <laughs> just gonna put that plug in right there. All right? I think we got enough. Now, third service, yeah, we're not even gonna waste time with this in first service, or third service, right? Actually, do we have, will we have enough for third service? You don't know? Okay. <laughs> you know, you go print more, it's fine. All right, okay. Let me read this while these, are, while these are going out. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God and all the affairs of men and nations has by resolution requested the president to designate and set apart a day of national prayer and humiliation. So this is Abraham Lincoln's proclamation, but it's the United States Senate that's calling on the president to lead the nation in humbling itself before God Almighty. If you've never, as we're reading this, just, just, just know this, if people ever say, we, we're not a Christian nation, we were never really founded on Judeo-Christian principles, you know, our founding fathers were deists, they didn't really know God, they didn't really believe in, read this, and then you'll be like, oh my gosh, we are absolutely a Christian nation, right? <laughs> And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to the mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truths announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. That's a president of the United States ladies and gentlemen, in the middle of calamity, in the middle of the greatest problem we've ever seen in our nation, he says, only those nations will be blessed whose God is the Lord, and we've abandoned that God. And so he goes on, he says this, and inasmuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins 
to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people? He's basically saying, did, did we not think that we, were, that we were gonna be punished? Do you think you could outrun the justice of God? You've given yourselves over to the sin of slavery, America. What'd you think was gonna happen? Right, that's what he's saying. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. I think, like, listen to this. It's almost like he's writing it for today as we go on. Watch what he says. He says, we have grown in numbers. We've grown in wealth and power as no other nation has grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. We did it ourselves. There is no God. We became great just by our own doing. He's saying, don't be so foolish, America. Don't be so foolish. You're intoxicated. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Whoo, that'll preach. Again, this is a United States president at the direction of the United States Senate to say this. Look how far we've come. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, and power is capitalized, it means God, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all people to abstain from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and in truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings, again, capital D, speaking of the God of the Bible, the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. Boy, you think we could use that today? Yeah? Again, a United States, this sounds like a pastor, right? Not a president. This is a president, this is a godly, godly man knowing what's really going on, that what we're, we were experiencing in the Civil War had nothing to do with natural, with, with the natural, had everything to do with the spiritual and our sins that led us into the perversion of slavery. And, and, and that's, he gets it. And he calls the nation back to truth. In witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this 13th day of March in the year of our Lord, 1,863, and of the independence of the United States, the 87th. 87 years into independence, and already America had forgotten her God. We are 235 years in, well, since the Constitution had been established, has been established. And we've, we've seen the same thing happening in our culture right now. We've, forgetting, we've forgotten God. We've done it all on our own accord is what we think. 
We believe virtue comes from just only within us. And we become the most, most wicked, perverse people that really have ever walked the face of the earth, in my opinion. And I say that because I understand what the scourge of abortion is on our nation. You think slavery was bad? We've, we've murdered 65 million babies in America. You don't think the Lord's justice is going to come like a wrecking ball and hit us with its full force of heaven if we don't repent and ask for the Lord to cover us in his, in his blood? If this is what happened to a nation who had gone off the rails with slavery, imagine what's gonna happen to a nation that has been sacrificing its innocent children on the altar of convenience. America, we better humble ourselves or what we went through in 1863 is gonna look like a walk in the park with what's coming. And I hate to, I hate to you know, strike fear or concern. I, I, I don't wanna strike fear in your hearts. We're not to be the children of fear, but it should concern you. And we need to be speaking bold truth. We need to be doing what Abraham Lincoln in the United States Senate did back in 1863 and said, God, help us. We're sorry. And I feel like this, this Abe Lincoln's proclamation fits exactly into what David was experiencing and feeling in 2 Samuel. He's saying, God, help us. Our nation has been humiliated and all it's gonna, all the only hope that we have is you. We cannot do this on our own accord. And he calls the nation of Israel back into this song of lament to cry out to the Lord, say, our mighty heroes have died. The, the, the enemy is laughing at us. Oh Lord, help us. Verse 21, oh mountains of Gilboa, remember where Saul and Jonathan had died. Let there be no dew or rain upon you, no fruitful fields producing offering or grain. David pr pronounces a curse upon Mount Gilboa. He says, for no more, no more. Now, real quick, this is just how my brain works. There's the next line in your notes there. I think it says dad joke of the day. David hated Mountain Dew, okay? Oh, come on. That was like, I'm a dad. He, he cursed the dew on the mountain. He obviously hates Mountain Dew. Thank you, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Omar, that's all I get is a eh, eh. I mean, you're the loudest guy in Hamilton County and all you can give me is an eh, eh. <laughs> all right, I was just like, this is, again, when I'm planning my messages, guys, I don't know what, I, it's something I had for lunch or it's my energy drink. I'm like, oh, this will be hilarious. I should do this, right? So, all right, cool. <laughs> that portion of the mountain, by the way, is called Saul's shoulder. And it's still there to this day. If you were to go to Mount Gilboa and you were to look, and I showed you a picture of Mount Gilboa last, last week, you see it's a beautiful, lush mountain. It's a beautiful valley, the Valley of Jezreel, it's a beautiful area, but there is one portion on Mount Gaboa that still to this day has no trees or life on it. It's called Saul's shoulder. That's where Saul is believed to have died. It's amazing. That is absolutely, so he curses that mountain. He curses that part of the mountain. For there, the shield of the mighty heroes was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. Actually, you know what? Let me, let me go back just because I, I hit on this first service and I and, and wasn't planning on talking, but I think it's important. You know, Israel, 
if you, if you want to study end time prophecy, look at, look at the rebirth of Israel. Uh, Israel up until 1948 was a, a barren desert place. Even Moses prophesies about this in Deuteronomy. He says, oh, Israel, in those days, the foreigner will travel to your land and he will say of you, you are cursed. Nothing good could ever come from you. And God has laid a curse upon your nation. It's a, it's a barren, desolate land. In 1867, there was a man, he was, a, he was one of the greatest authors in American history. He had always heard of the stories that his mom had told him about Israel, this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. His mom would read him stories from the Bible. And so when in his adult life, he was like, I wanna go to this land flowing with milk and honey. So he gets on a boat in San Francisco and he, and he sails west and he, he goes all, around the, all the way around the world and he ends up in Israel. And he writes his most famous work that he ever, that he ever had at, uh, when he was alive. Now he's had other works that have trumped that work now. But the work that, that sold the most during his life was a, was a work called The Desolation Abroad. And he gets there and he does exactly what Moses prophesies is gonna happen in Deuteronomy. He says, he doesn't know this prophecy. There's no, there's no record of him knowing what Moses has said. But if you go to Deuteronomy, Moses says, the foreigner will travel to your land, O Israel, and he will say of you, you're barren, you're desolate, and you're cursed by the God, nothing good could ever come from you. And so this author travels to Israel. He writes the desolation abroad. If you read it, he talks about Israel. He says, it's barren, it's desolate. Nothing good could ever come from it. And it's cursed by the gods. You know who that author was? Mark Twain. Were you in the first service? No, no, you just know that. Dang, I mean, that's amazing. All right, Mark Twain. Okay, uh, it, was, it was Mark Twain. Moses prophesied about Mark Twain in Deuteronomy. Isn't that amazing? And, and, and it, was, it was exactly that moment where there was another prophecy in Zechariah that pointed to the prophecy of, of Deuteronomy. It said, but in those days, Israel, when that foreigner comes, the Lord will hear you and he will have mercy upon you. And he will begin to rebuild and rebirth that ancient desolate land. And you will once again be the land flowing with, with beauty and with life. It will turn the desert into the plush landscape that it once was. So Zechariah points to the Deuteronomy prophecy. Well, there was another man, and remember Zechariah says, I will reform your ancient borders. There was another man at the same time Mark Twain was staying in Israel. He was staying at a hotel. There was another man commissioned by the Queen of England at the time. She sent this man, his name was Charles Warren, to go and actually secretly, because it was still under Ottoman control, secretly like find the ancient boundaries of Israel, okay? Charles Warren was doing exactly what Zechariah said was gonna happen. But it all started from the prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy. And Moses says, he says, when the foreigner comes to your land, O Israel, that's when the Lord's gonna start reforming your ancient borders. That's when he's gonna rebirth your nation into existence again. That's when you will once again be known of the land flowing with milk and honey. And just so you know that I am God and it is me at work, the Zechariah prophecy said, the Lord will hear and he will have mercy upon you. Well, what, do you guys know what Mark Twain's real name is? Samuel Clemens. You know what the word Samuel means? The Lord hears. Do you know what the word Clemens means? Clemency, it means mercy. Literally, Zechariah was pointing to the Deuteronomy prophecy that prophesied about Mark Twain, whose name literally pointed to Zechariah that the Lord was gonna rebirth Israel. 
Amazing! <laughs> and it happened in 1867, and then, and then in 1917, we have World War I, and you, you begin to see Israel, the, the land is opened up for the Jewish people to, be, to, to rebuy their, uh, to their ancient land. 1948, Israel is rebirthed as a nation, and from that day, the Israelite people have reforested the entire nation. They planted millions of trees, millions of trees, and now you go to Israel, it's one of the most lush, beautiful landscapes the world has to offer. And it started with a prophecy in Deuteronomy. But on the one place on Mount Geboa, out of all of the lush forest, there's still one place that has no trees or anything on it. It's because David cursed it. That's awesome. That's amazing. This is, man couldn't plan something like that. There is not a man alive there's not a woman alive. Maybe that's a better way to, you know, <laughs> they're a little smarter sometimes. Okay, like there is nobody alive that could plan something like this. Verse 21, the end of verse 21 says this, for there the shield of the mighty heroes was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. In those days, the, Saul, the, the shields of the warriors were, were leather and they would need to be anointed with oil to keep them strong, to keep them from cracking and from, uh, from, from peeling apart. And David says, no longer will your shield be that, that tough, strong defender of the people. Saul's shield was once seen standing upright and it was a rallying cry for the people. When, you, when the leader's shield would go out into battle, you knew that you could trust your leader and you could go into battle and he was gonna lead you to victory. But now it lays flat on the field of battle and will no longer be seen as that rallying cry that it once was. The bow of Jonathan was powerful and the sword of Saul did its mighty work. They shed the blood of their enemies and pierced the bodies of mighty heroes. What David is saying, he's saying, he, our leaders were not cowards. We are, we are Israelites. We know who our God is. We don't run away from the battle. We run into the battle. And that was true for Saul and it was true for Jonathan. Consistently, Jonathan's bow sang with the harp string of accuracy, but now the song was no more. He was lamenting, he was mourning that the bow that struck fear in the hearts of the Philistines for years was now no longer gonna be singing. It was dead on the field of battle. Now get this, this is what he says about Saul. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. What? Saul's his enemy. I get it, Jonathan, he loved Jonathan. They were best friends. But he says it about Saul? Are you kidding me, David? What kind of heart is this? This has got to be supernatural. Nobody in the flesh would ever say that about your enemy. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than the eagles and stronger than the lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hill. David is imploring the people of Israel to remember the good in Saul rather than the bad. Boy, how, what, that's convicting. When your enemy falls, we talked about this last week, what's your response? Do you celebrate? Do you gloat? Do you, do you rejoice over their, their destruction? Or do you have the heart of God like David had? He says, hey, you know what? Remember the good. Daughters of Israel, it was, it wasn't, if it wasn't for Saul, you wouldn't be closed in this luxurious scarlet. He gave you great victory because of his godliness early on. 
It led to prosperity and peace and blessings. Remember those times. Now, I don't know if you've watched the news in the last couple days or not, but um, uh, President Jimmy Carter is pretty much on the edge of, of death, right? We're gonna have a chance, church, to do this, or we can do the other thing when President Carter passes away. We can say, oh, he was a terrible president, uh, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Or we can say, hey, you know, let's remember the good in this. I was talking to a pastor who, who was kind of the pastor to the presidents uh, back in the 90s, uh, the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, and um, he, he was one of the guys that the, pa- the presidents would call into his office and say, hey, come pray with me. We need advice. We need wisdom. And, and, uh, and so he had, he had served Nixon. He served Ford. He served Carter. He served Reagan. And he served Bush Sr. And he was a spiritual, you know, he gave spiritual guidance. I mean, that's a pretty impressive resume right there, right? And I asked him, I said, I said, who out of all of the presidents that you knew intimately, who knew the Lord the best? And I was like, oh, he's gonna say Reagan without a doubt, right? Reagan's awesome, you know what I mean? Like, and without missing a beat, he says, Jimmy Carter. And I was like, I was kind of shocked. I was like, but he was terrible, <laughs> okay? Just knowing history, right? And he said, Micah, just because he was a bad president doesn't mean he didn't know the Lord. He knew the Lord better than any other person. He knew what it meant to be saved. And he was a Sunday school teacher from Georgia. He was elected right after Vietnam. He needed to heal the nation. He brought that heart of, of just that Sunday school teacher mindset into the nation. Now, he wasn't good on economics. He wasn't good on foreign policy. Absolutely. But how are we gonna remember him when he passes away in a few short days? He's gonna be with the Lord. We can celebrate his life because we now know, we know he's a, he, he loves Jesus. He said it. He's, he's shown it. He's gonna be with the Lord. But but are you gonna criticize all of his policies or are you gonna say, hey, let's look at the good. If, we could, if David could do that with Saul, we certainly could do that with somebody like Jimmy Carter. Amen? So again, just you know, as that comes, and it looks like it'll happen here in the next few days or few weeks, then you remember this passage. How will you remember him? Oh, weep for you, my brother John. Oh, how I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, Deeper than the love of women. Okay, because we're expository and I'm preaching, I just wanna give you, I wanna teach you something here. I wanna kind of explain something because this passage right here is one of the main passages that I hear quoted often by the LGBTQ community when they're trying to say that God affirms the homosexual lifestyle. They'll say, a man after God's own heart, David, had a deeper relationship with Jonathan than that of even a woman. That obviously means that he's in a sexual relationship with Jonathan. Again, I wanna just explain this to you. Now, hear me, we, we love the LGBTQ community. We, we're called to love them, God loves them, God has a heart for them, but we don't affirm everything everyone does, right? We say, no, God, God's identity for you is this. We wanna call you out of where you are to live the way God has called you to live because you will, you will soar like an eagle. You won't be living in depression. You won't be trying to fill your life with things that fade. You'll have the living water that produces great life. And so like in the same way, I've I've known alcoholics in my past. I don't affirm them in their alcoholism. I don't say, hey, that's just who you are. Like, enjoy it, have fun. I say, no, 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 God loves you. He wants you to come out of that into this. And so the same way we we should do that with, with the LGBTQ community. Say, no, 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 God calls you to this. But when they do pull out passages of scripture like this and say, but God 
obviously blessed a homosexual relationship because look at Jonathan and David. I want you to know the historical context. With historical context is everything. These two men did not have a homosexual relationship, and here's why. Jonathan's sister was Michael, and, he was, and she was one of David's wives, and they had a contentious relationship at best. Because remember, Jonathan's sister, Michael, was won by David in a contest. So he won Michael in a contest. If there's any women in this room right now that have been won in a contest by her husband, probably start off on a not so good foot, okay? <laughs> yeah, how, how'd you guys get married? How'd you guys meet? Well, he won me, <laughs> won me in a contest. <laughs> you can see where it'd be a little, and, and we're gonna see later in, this, in, in the scriptures here in 2 Samuel, we're gonna see where Michael begins to just constantly you know, be a thorn in the flesh to David. David did not have a good relationship with his wife, Michael. Now, David was a great king. He was a great warrior. He was a horrible family man, okay? He was a bad husband and he was a bad father. We'll just get that out of the way right now. He had eight wives right there. It's a really stupid thing, David. What are you doing, okay? Like, one, one is plenty, okay? Right? Even though you won her in a contest, she's one's plenty, okay? All right? Maybe that's why she was upset. She's like, you won me and now you have more wives too? Like, come on, David. But anyway, David didn't have a good relationship with his wife. And so what he's saying to Jonathan in that moment, he's saying, your love for me is greater than your sister's love for me and she's my wife. And studies have actually shown in the, in the heart of war, when men go to battle, their love and their bond becomes unbreakable, even more to the point where they feel closer to the men they go into war with than even their own family sometimes. Studies, like modern day studies, they've, they've studied what happens when the men who went into Fallujah, like when they come back from war, they feel a greater connection to their brothers in arms than they do even to their spouse or their children. Because when you, someone has your back and it's a life and death situation, there's a bond that's created there. That's what David's saying. He's saying, Jonathan, your love for me is that deep. There's a bond where I know I can literally count on you with my, with my life. And now my heart breaks because you're, you're not here anymore. Just wanna lay it out there. So if you ever hear that, you know the context and you don't just go along with the narrative and be like, well, I guess it does say his love was deeper than a woman's. That must mean they, they had a homosexual relationship. No, that's not what it means at all. That's how the devil twists things of scripture. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? The last verse of this beautiful song of lament. Remember, beginning, he says, I want all of Israel to learn this. And what he's saying in this passage right here is so important. He's saying the mighty weapons of war are no more to protect you, O Israel. Turn to the Lord, humble yourself, come back to your great protector. And David knew one thing and he knew it well that the weapons of war were not, it was not a sling, it was not a stone. It was not a spear, it was not a shield. It was a person or as persons. And that's true in our life today. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities, the rulers of the dark realm, the demonic spirits. We battle against all of those. And you know, our greatest weapon is not a bullet, it's not a bomb, it's not a shield, it's not a sword, it's not a spear. It is the name of Jesus, the one and only. And if you're struggling with anything today, if you're battling, if you've been in, you come in here, you've just carried just, just heartache, know what David knew. Turn to Yahweh, turn to the one true God, turn to Jesus. Because he is that powerful weapon of war. 
Do you need, do you need to be broken from addiction? Do you need to, do you need to, like, do you need healing? Do you need to be set free from something? Come humbly on your face before the Lord and say, Lord, if, if it's not you, then I have nothing. But if I have you, I have everything. Abraham Lincoln knew it. David knew it. My question to you is, do you know? Do you know that it's God and it's only God? He'll be your weapon of war. He wants to be your weapon of war. He's won the victory for you all day, every day for all of eternity. He just needs you to step out and say, Lord, I call on your name now. When you do that, man, watch the lion of the tribe of Judah fight for you. And when, when, he, ro- when he roars, the enemy runs. Amen. I'm gonna invite the prayer team down. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? We're gonna give you a chance to respond to, to the message today. And we're gonna give you a chance to come down and be prayed over by powerful prayer warriors as well. If you need healing, if you need to be set free, if you need the Lord to, to touch you, come on down. But I first wanna make sure that you know that in order to be set free, you have to declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's not you today, if you've never done that, I'm telling you right now, you will get beat down by the war happening around you every single day. And God does not want you to be going through that. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. He wants to give you victory. He wants to set you free so you soar like eagles above the chaos of this world. But you have to accept him. The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. If there's anybody in this room that has never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just want you to slip your hand up and, and I, wanna, I wanna lead you in a prayer. Is there anyone in this room? We just wanna give a second for people to, to do that. We don't, if you wanna go from death to life, just, just raise your hand up right now. I'm just gonna pray a prayer with you. I'm not gonna call you down. Just wait for just a second. Is there anybody, no one's looking around. Is there anybody here? For those of you who need that strength in the battle, I'm pretty sure that's probably all of us in this room right now. You've gone in through battles that are hurting, that are tough. You are in a battle that's hurting, that's tough. Let me just pray a prayer collectively over over you and what you're going through right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our warrior. Thank you for being the weapon, the ultimate weapon of war the name of Jesus, which is higher than any other name. In the mighty name of Jesus, we just claim victory for every single person in this room right now. Thank you, Lord. You are so good. You are so awesome. And Lord, we claim that power that you've given us through your son, Jesus, Lord, over any situation that's going on in our life, whether it's with family, whether it's the business, whether it's with with government, whether it's with the you know, community, whatever it might be, wherever those battles are happening right now, Lord, would you just step in as our defender, and as our ultimate weapon, Lord, and put back the lies of the enemy. Run off the demonic. Roar like the mighty lion that you are for your sons and your daughters in this place. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we give you all the glory. Thank you for being our living hope. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody said.